We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aaron Rodgers looking for Devontae Adams. He's got it! DJ Moore has a pass to the end zone. Jonathan Taylor, touchdown. Pass is caught. Diggs, touchdown. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Arden. And as always, I am joined on the show by Sean Siegel, my co-host here on Rotoviz Overtime, also the co-host of Stealing Bananas with Ben Gretsch. But Sean, we teased it on Tuesday's show. We're going to get straight into it. We've got Mike Leone of Established the Run on the podcast today. If you aren't already following him on Twitter, it's at Two Hats One Mike. I, I think you should be clicking that uh, follow button to him. But Mike, every time we have you on, it's always a, a blast. We, we, I was going to say, we used to have many guests on Road of His OT. We have started to make a bit of a habit of it now. But you've been on multiple times, so you're in a you're in an exclusive list. Um, we did get to talk to you just prior to the best ball tournament final with the ffpc back in late december early january where we were lucky enough to all be in that final spot so that was a really fun show to do so looking forward to talking best ball with you today a little bit of dynasty on saturday show but the mannerly thing to do is to say welcome back to the podcast thank you is there going to be like that snl skit the five timers club where i get a jacket or something or access to a special room we'll have to come up with something we haven't really thought that far ahead if we're being honest but we'll, we'll figure <laughs> something out uh but i do i do want to say i really appreciate you guys bringing me on the show multiple times i think rotoviz is one of the sharpest sites out there you know sometimes in season i wish i could even listen to you guys a little more than i can because it gets so hectic so um you guys are super sharp i really appreciate you guys having me on no i really appreciate that mike and uh sean then i guess i have to say hello to you as well yeah, well, it's, it's so fun to have Mike back on the show and to talk some best ball, to talk some Dynasty, just to tease that show a little bit for Saturday. Mike and I had a huge blockbuster trade in the Dynasty League that we're in together. So we'll kind of go through that, what our thought process was, uh, if the trade's going to be win-win, because obviously you want to have that be the outcome. And the other 10 managers then are the big losers when you see that trade executed come through your email and you weren't one of the the two people in it then you know it needs to be heartbreak there so we'll see if we accomplish that we're going to jump right into some best ball questions today obviously uh mike a dfs legend but bringing you in this time of the year we get to talk some other fun topics here and, and obviously after the best ball run last year especially want to pick your brain i'll see what we can add to our process as we all try and get back into that position and one of the things that you had mentioned as we were kind of chatting about the show is this question of 
the early QBs. And we know that historically, when you take a QB too early, the win rates are very, very low. But yet we now have some QBs who can score so many points. And then especially perhaps if you're looking at tournament play, that's going to affect how you want to do it a little bit. If you think that a QB gives you one week upside that really stands out from the pack. But then this other question, I think, as we head into 2022, and I'll be kind of, we'll be talking about this sort of across the shows as we think about how we want to do the 2022 season. But I think there's a strong argument to be made that rounds four and five are not as stocked at other positions as they have been some years, that that area gets flatter earlier. That also changes what you want to do at quarterback, right? Because the opportunity cost there is a big component of whether or not you go QB early. So kind of start us off with the big picture. What are you looking here at the QB position? Are you willing to go after some of these guys early? Yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to get your thoughts on it and kind of had like pointed it out pre-show was when I was doing our super flex best ball rankings and we were trying to figure out, you know, the correct scarcity to apply to each position after the top 15 or so quarterbacks, there's just a really significant drop off in upside. And it feels like in a more predictable fashion. I remember last year, I looked at some data that TJ Hernandez of uh, four for four had looked at. And one of the things he had evaluated, this was heading into the 2021 season was not only did the top 12 quarterbacks that year, the previous year separate a little bit more, but it was tied pretty closely to ADP. And I think we're seeing a shift in the NFL where, you know, five, 10 years ago, maybe Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson had just a crazy efficient year, right? And it wasn't necessarily repeatable. This year, the best quarterbacks on the best offenses, they're either guys that can run and use their legs that gives them this edge, like before the worst quarterbacks, like that was, you know, somewhat of an equalizer. And you get guys like Tom Brady, who their pass rate over expectation is so high. I mean, teams are utilizing their strengths a bit more. So we're seeing teams go very pass heavy with uh, the um, at, at the quarterback position. So teams like Mahomes are able to separate a little bit more because the volume's there. It's not just an efficiency thing. And Mike, as you look at that then, and we talk about best ball tactics. And it's interesting you mentioned that because we had JJ on the show and that was one of his big things too. It's not just that these guys are separating, but it's that you can pick out the ones who are going to separate. And that is a big difference from if they're all over the place. When you're looking at it then, and we often talk about the QB window for so long, late round quarterback was so effective in all formats that you would have drafters try and take a couple of quarterbacks late that obviously burns an extra roster spot, but even then the win rate in our roster construction explorers suggests that it doesn't work, right? So whether it's because you're not getting the right QBs or you're burning the roster spot or a combination of the two, that approach was really sort of a siren song that got people going off in the wrong direction. And in order to be successful, you needed to have this build that had at least two QBs in the window is that something that you would consider again? You talk about that top 15. And so we traditionally looked at it from the perspective of, you know, what rounds are the sweet spot, but obviously the rounds are going to coincide to a very strong extent with who those actual quarterbacks are. If you're going to take two, do you still want to have one of these top five guys? Is that going to kind of go draft by draft? 
how are you looking at having the right overall build at QB within the dynamics that you just discussed? Yeah, I do think saving a roster spot's a really big deal. Um, just the attrition over the course of a season, having that extra skill player roster spot. You know, one, one of the strategies I love to do most is like really loading up on quantity of wide receivers. Um, but even if you're doing a zero running back strategy, you know, to have an extra running back spot is really big deal. So I like to only take two, which means I'm taking, I, I got to get one of the top 10 or so guys, whether I need to get two is a bit draft by draft. Um, I was glad to hear you mention, you think rounds four and five this year are a little bit grosser than previous seasons because I felt that way. And sometimes you never know at the beginning of an off season, if I'm just remembering wrong, you know, cause we're going to talk ourselves into certain guys over the course of the summer. Like, do I feel this way at the beginning of every season? But um, especially when we talk wide receiver in a little bit, there's, yeah, I've got some thoughts there, but I do think that four or five range this year, last year for me, it was the end of round six. Like there were certain guys where if they didn't fall past mid five, like T Higgins and some of these guys, like once they went, I was like, I'm going to go to a, a onesie position, a quarterback or a tight end. And this year I do think rounds four and five, it's okay. And what's interesting is our rankings, um, the base of our rankings at established to run are from projections with like baked in upside scenarios with players. So it's, it's a really good base. It's not the ultimate best way of doing things because there's so much that you need to account for in terms of the chaos of an NFL season and the range of outcomes, but it gives you a good base. And what we found comparing our quarterback ranks to ADP was the mid-tier quarterbacks were, were a lot more overvalued by the market than the top quarterbacks. Like the top quarterbacks actually kind of going a little bit more where we think they should go based on scarcity. Um, so I found that really interesting. So I'm pretty into to trying to grab an elite quarterback. I know it's somewhat early to talk specifics, but someone like Lamar Jackson seems like, you know, he's going off at QB four on FFPC. I think a lot of places have Allen Herbert Mahomes ahead of him. And I think he's got as good a shot as anyone to be the overall QB one, um, you know, Kyler too, just to be able to get those guys in round five, I think is a pretty big deal this year. And you kind of mentioned the guy that I was excited to hear you talk about. We're going to have an article coming out, I think, later today on Lamar Jackson. And oh yeah, why? Yeah. I mean, it's just that... shocking to me where he's going right now. So yeah, yeah it just it, it's kind of crazy. We have a new writer going to make his debut, so everybody look for that. But Lamar Jackson. So then, I guess the question you mentioned, kind of that second tier, maybe those guys aren't as well valued even as the top guys, and that again kind of goes to where you think the wide receiver value is but when we're looking at somewhat of a top six then would it be correct based on what you just said and again it depends on your draft and whether or not Allen and Mahomes you know if they do fall a little bit but are you looking to take kind of the whoever's in that four five six range if if the if the top six really is kind of the top tier yeah I mean it seems like Allen goes just too early the opportunity cost is too high on him but yeah, kind of, kind of, I, I don't mind, you know, tier-based drafting. There's some other guys too that, I mean, I mean it kind of depends where the skill players fall, but I'm not going to get too tied to any single guy. Lamar's my favorite right now for sure. But, you know, we're pretty high on Tom Brady, which seems weird, but like FFPC scoring where it's, um, you get a little bit more in favor of the passing quarterbacks because the yardage is one point every 20 yards instead of one point every 25. You know, I would throw him and Dak, in that group too it almost gives you i think eight quarterbacks that i'm really pretty comfortable with 
Um, I think Burrow is going a little bit early. We have him actually eighth at that group, but his ADP is a little bit sooner. Hey, Rotoviz fans. This is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RV Radio 2022 at checkout for 10% off a one-year Rotoviz subscription. Enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And then that kind of does take us into our next topic and, and I'm going to let Colin take most of this and, and start with the wide receivers, but just kind of as the lead in with what we were just talking about, how do we start to navigate? And as I was putting together the show, she was thinking, well, let's just go ahead and right from the beginning, call it the wide receiver apocalypse and project that these guys are going to really fail in this round three to round six range. I'm very concerned about the receivers there. I'm having a hard time taking them. It really messes up everything that our structural drafts have been based on. But I also think that's exciting because then, you know, you can have some flexibility. You can do some experimentation. You're not necessarily sure you're going to be right, but you have to have some guts. And it's not just laying back on everything that's come before. How do we handle this wide receiver you know, sweet spot that this year looks like it could be pretty bitter. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at it and I felt similarly where last year rounds three through six, it just felt like every round there was someone you really wanted. You know, you had the Seattle guys and the Rams guys at the three, four turn, the Cowboys guys in round three, you could get chase T Higgins, five, six. Um, Ayuk was up there, um, you know, even Claypool on the back end. And it feels like what's happened with a lot of those players is they've jumped up into the first couple rounds, which is, you know, what Cooper Cup has done, what Jamar Chase has done. But the guys in the first two rounds haven't fallen back. So, so we've got more guys in the first two rounds or they've had shifts like the Seattle guys where you're concerned now, you know, you, you lock it and. Metcalf with the new quarterback that's concerning and it, it, so it just it does seem like there's more question marks you know I like Elijah Moore everybody likes the upside case for Elijah Moore but you are not getting any sort of discount for a guy playing with Zach Wilson who we're projecting a little bit you know going at the four or five turn so 
I, I'm glad to hear you you think similarly um, because again, I wasn't sure if I was just going crazy or just like overthinking it early in the year. And now I've rambled and kind of forgot the question I was even so, supposed to answer. But that that was sort of how I saw the wide receiver position to start. As far as what that changes for me structurally, I agree it's exciting because it's always fun to try new things and not do do the same thing over and over and to try and be early and see something that your opponents don't. To me, I feel like I'm more likely to take a wide receiver in those first couple rounds where I feel like the gap is a little bit more important. Sometimes in the past, I felt that as much as in redraft, I love drafting really wide receiver heavy early that sometimes in the first couple rounds, it could be overvalued in best ball just because the way the best ball scoring works, you know, guys like Devontae Adams, the consistency is such a huge edge in redraft and you lose that edge a little bit in best ball when a down week from the you know receiver you took in round four can be replaced by, you know, these six bench wide receivers. Um, but now if we see rounds three through six, those guys were more worried about, then all of a sudden it, that value just swing a little bit back to the first two rounds. And, you know, if people are a little bit more weary of drafting running backs in that range, you almost could flip the build. I really like, you know, the hyper fragile build. I think um, Mike Beers was maybe the first one to do that and look into that where you're drafting running backs early, but not a lot of them. Um, a lot of success I had last year was taking two in the first two rounds and then only taking four or five total, but not taking those next two or three until later. You could almost do the same thing now, except take those two in rounds in the dead zone where you normally wouldn't, but then start wide receiver, wide receiver. Yeah, and we're going to, we're going to talk to Ed Zone later in the show, but it does feel like that. And I've really enjoyed listening to Sean and Ben over the last couple of months talk about how the dead zone has shifted. And that's something we're going to ask you a little bit later. But you mentioned the wide receivers in round, say, three through six have moved up into you know, rounds two through three now. We also have the guys like Ezekiel Elliott, you know, falling off down to round five, six range. So we're having some of those first round running backs drop out. So we're having a lot more uh, wide receivers go earlier. And speaking of doing things different, myself and Sean discussed on Tuesday's podcast, a draft that he started off with uh, three running backs. So anything is possible in 2020 <laughs> at, at, at this point. But we're going to dive into those wide receivers and I do know that there's a couple of guys that you're higher or lower on than consensus. So I'm kind of going to shoot names at you and and get your overall thoughts on them and where you are either higher and targeting them more or completely avoiding some of these guys. So the first one up on the list is Tampa Bay's Mike Evans. Where are we going with Evans in 2022? Yeah, I'm really high on Mike Evans this year. Um, Generally not the type of guy I'm super high on just because there's not a huge shift in scenario and he's been in the league for a while. And, and generally these types of guys aren't the guys you target for like a huge leap, but because this zone is a little bit scarier in the past, I think his relative values a bit better. And I mentioned with Brady, the pass rate of expectation, Tampa Bay had 30 more air yards per game than the second closest team. That's like, it's like an extra one and a half games of air yards over the second highest team. So there's so much opportunity here. Godwin starting the year uh, likely banged up as he recovers from ACL. I don't believe Gronk has officially decided yet if he's coming back or not. So there might be, you know, some room there for some more targets. And it just, it, it feels really safe. It's, it's the offense you want to invest in. They're one of the highest projected scoring offenses. They're going to have, 
one of the highest pass rates over expectation. Probably if I had to bet today, I would bet on them to have the highest pass rate over expectation in the entire league. So um, those are all reasons why I'm on Mike Evans. The other one then, you did touch on him a little bit, but we'll expand on it, and that was DK Metcalf. Obviously, the quarterback situation with Drew Locke and Russell Wilson now with the Denver Broncos. I'll also toss you know, Kyler Lockett into the mix as targeting Kyler Lockett away to, you know, get off the concern about DK Metcalf or are we completely avoiding the Seattle wide receivers? Yeah, right now there's two aspects to this. Overall, I'm, I'm concerned with the entire situation. You know, there's a chance that they make a switch at quarterback for the start of the season. Drew Lock doesn't start all these games, but me and uh, Pat Crane did a podcast and Pat and I are both on the Drew Lock is just ultra terrible train. So I'm concerned about that, but also whether it's Drew Locke or someone else, I mean, Russell Wilson's one of the most efficient quarterbacks in NFL history. So the drop down to whoever it might be is going to be pretty significant. And we might see this towel risk that people don't realize how much Russ was carrying this offense because they weren't that great. And so I think people might be underestimating how far they could fall just because they weren't that great. But when you're not running any plays, your pace is super slow. You have a low pass rate of expectation. I mean, how are the wide receivers going to make their value? It's efficiency. <laughs> well, Drew Locke isn't going to give them any efficiency. So I I'm really concerned here. I know there's some merit to just betting on Metcalf being a physical freak. And I know a lot of people feel like he might be a little bit more QB proof. He had some good numbers when Geno Smith came in last year. I'm of the mindset that that's a really small sample and people are overplaying that a little bit. So I think Metcalf in particular, going off at wide receiver 15, you know, rounds like the three, four turn, it's too early for me. So I'm concerned about Lockett quite a bit too, but the, the gap between the two is somewhat insane to me. Lockett's going off as wide receiver 37. And I'm almost kind of in at that price and just kind of, I don't know, arbitraging the situation and taking a super cheap Lockett who, I know has less high end upside, but we've been saying that for a couple of years now and he keeps basically matching DK in points per game. Yeah, I think that's probably the way to play it at this current point. There's a lot of concern. You mentioned Wilson and his efficiency. When we look at, you know, go back and look at any highlights of DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett on some of their, you know, most explosive plays, like they are Russell Wilson and maybe two or three other quarterbacks are the only guys making those throws in the NFL so yeah lots of concern this question is going to go to both of you guys but I'm going to give it to Mike first and then I'll give it to Sean after and that is Rondell Moore I know Sean and Ben talked about Rondell Moore and stealing bananas recently and is that breakout coming in 2022 there was glimmers last year and I will admit they were glimmers it was kind of week one through four and it went very quiet after that but no Christian Kirk there at the moment so is that breakout happening? Are you excited to see what uh, Rondell can do in year two? Hey, we we were ready to pop the champagne after week two last year, but it was <laughs> we really were. It was a victory lapse. Like we had him in the chamber. It was like one more, one more good week, and it it never quite came. So it was a weird season because usually it's kind of flipped the way the order happens for a young rookie wide receiver like that. The way. I, I look at it, I don't want to say I'm giving him a pass on year one, but it, it just, it seems somewhat neutral to me in the end. And it looks like the opportunity is going to be there. So I liked him going into last year. It's the same player I like going into this year, except the route to opportunity is a lot better with Christian Kirk gone in particular. If we can get Rondell more in the slot, that's great. We can also, you know, AJ Green at this point hasn't been 
re-signed uh, officially either. Or I don't know if he will be. So that and he, it's not much of a threat anyway. So I, I like the opportunity. And I remember listening to Sean talk about Rondell Moore, and I was surprised. I think one of the comps he threw out was almost like a little Tyreek Hill-esque, where he had some like bigger play ability than maybe people were thinking. And even though his ADOT was absurdly short last year, I mean, it was like five yards lower than anybody else. It's one of the most insane things ever. We did get a glimmer of, you know, he made some pretty big downfield plays when he got the opportunity. He just didn't get a lot of those opportunities. It's interesting you mentioned that too. And, you know, we look at these guys and you do get a lot of information from year one and you have to incorporate that information. And it would have been great if Moore had immediately done what we hoped or vaguely expected. Uh, but at the same time, he retains large portions of the profile that he came into the NFL with that was fantastic. And his coaches come out and said, I, I more or less blew it. And that's better than the coach coming out and saying, we couldn't use him because he's not good, which they don't tend to be that blunt, but they do say that kind of thing from time to time about some other players. And so those players, you might be a little bit more scared of. But then the other thing with someone like Moore, and we know from lots of great research, Blair Andrews has got some cool things in his wrong read series on this. It's getting a little bit tighter now, unfortunately, because for so many years drafting the second year wide receivers was you know, just such an easy way to win fantasy leagues. But now that people are getting onto it a little bit more, we have the situation that the players where you can still get that gap between potential value and where they're going are the players who weren't stars in the first season. And so more kind of fits into that range where you could actually draft him where he goes and have a lot of room for it to grow. And that's how you have to build your teams. And so I'm willing to take the risk there. I think it's a, a fun risk to take and, you know, if, if more does go to zero in dynasty over the next 18 months, then things like that have happened before. If you built your team correctly, you can weather it. If you build your redraft team correctly, you can weather it. And so I like to go ahead and make that play. Mike, the flip side of that then is a player who, again, maybe some similarities, but had the greatest possible year that you can really have playing that way. And that would be a Debo Samuel. I think that we all love Debo. Again, from the perspective of drafting with an eye to who are the most talented players, at this point, I think that you have to put him in the top two or three. I and mean, there's some even reasons to believe that he might be better than a Devontae Adams or better than a Tyreek Hill. But obviously, there are actually all kinds of elements of his profile that just scream unsustainable. Kind of work us through the ones that you might be the most concerned about. You know, is losing receiving work for rushing considering how crazy the efficiency was on the ru rushing is that a big negative is the qb situation a big concern for you I mean, one of the things that we thought would happen last year is that kittle and Ayuk would take a little bit more of the work than they actually did and, they, and neither one of them really did for you know, different reasons and then kind of wrap it together for us by i mean it kind of feels to me like and i'm interested to hear if you feel the same way even once you adjust for all of these things that are problematic, I mean, does he move out of that tier break that happens sort of middle to late round two, again, kind of depending on format? Because once we get out of that range, the wide receivers from a talent perspective are, are much, much worse. This is a little bit of the process of the that I've gone through this offseason, which is you know, Debo Samuel's way overvalued to, well, I guess I would take him here. I mean, looking at the other names, I do think he's going too early um we've got him like just outside our top 10 
wide receivers. I think he's going like wide receiver six or seven, a lot of places. I'm concerned, I think like a few things adding up. I mean, you hit on all of them. One, the efficiency, both rushing and receiving, it just has to come to work, come, come, come back down to earth. I mean, his touchdown rate on rush attempts was insane. And it's not like he was only getting goal line carries. I mean, he had like a goal line backs, a goal line specialist rushing TD rate. Uh, so that that was insane, not to mention the yards per carry being, you know, what, what it was. And same thing with his yak. I mean, he's going to be a great yak player. He does some things really well, and we need to give him credit for that. But we can give him credit and still understand that it's going to regress a little bit. You combine that with, okay, now we've got a quarterback where this team that was already really run heavy might run even more. You know, let's say they call pass run plays at the same rate as they did last year. But now you've got a guy who's scrambling 10% of the time. You know, you've just you've just cut down the available targets 10% from what you had last year. And as much you know, crap as Jimmy Garoppolo gets, whether it's him or the offense, the dude's around eight yards per attempt every year among the league leaders. So it's I mean, he's getting guys the ball. So there might be more room to fall off than to grow there. I might be a little spurned by being so high on Trey Lance last year and having it just burn me so much. So I listen to that understanding uh, that bias that could be seeping in. Um, and then the, the Ayuk Kittle thing you mentioned, you know, Kittle missed some time. Seems like he always does, but he missed some time. Ayuk, for whatever reason, was buried to start the year. And we did see Debo, you know, see a little bit of a floor a couple weeks when Kittle was back and playing well and, and Ayuk was um, had emerged as like the clear second wide receiver there. So I think just like all those things added up, make me a little bit worried, uh, even though we definitely have to respect Debo's skill set. So for me, um, like, like I, I prefer CD lamb, although at this point the market's like adjusted and they're really on CD lamb, but CD lamb, AJ Brown, even, you know, T Higgins, I think I would take, over, I think I would take Evans, who we talked about, over Debo. But it starts to get close when you get into like Evans, DeAndre Hopkins um, territory. Moving on to running backs now. Uh, we did kind of touch on this earlier in the show, but there feels like there's a bit of a sea change for drafters. Maybe it's just that the people drafting at this time of the year are probably involved more in the industry than people who will be drafting in August. And ADP might change, but I mentioned that we're seeing more wide receivers in the first two rounds. We're kind of seeing some of those running backs that – we thought last year she'd probably be in you know the third fourth fifth round range now falling into that range so we're seeing a kind of a adjustment to the market now as i mentioned that might just be the time of year that we're drafting in but also the awareness is growing of some of the structural drafting that is talked about not just on our show but on numerous shows and then of course the dead zone for the running backs has come to prominence over the last couple of years so is there going to be a sea change based on the awareness of the dead zone or are 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 we just the people who are all drafted at this time of the year? It is always difficult to discern that. And I don't think I have a great answer. Uh, I feel like in some regard, it depends where you're playing. You know, if you're playing on underdog, we saw last year, I mean, Josh Jacobs going around seven, you know, like, like the ship chasing guys ruined the, uh, the ADP. running back ADPs on <laughs> underdog. And we probably see something similar this year. If you play on an FFPC, you know, that didn't happen quite as much and we might see something similar but there are some guys even on ffpc looking early you know jk dobbins last year when the offseason started it was just absurd that he was going like middle round two and it was like this is you know one of the uh, of course the injury was was fluky um but it, but this was one of the easiest passes process wise before the industry 
injury. Um, then he started to fall to like, like at around three. And I was like, I don't know. Okay. Now he's going, you know, beginning around four. And we're going to couple that with, we're not as confident in the receivers in this range as we were last year. So I do think there might be more opportunities to take, you know, Ben Gretsch calls them detours, like detours in the, the, the RB, the dead zone range in rounds four through six. And if you do do what I was saying earlier and take some wide receivers in rounds one and two for best ball, you're going to, you probably, you know, it's hard to go full zero RB. You're probably going to want to take some stabs at some of these guys, you know, James Conner looks okay in that range. Um, it still looks tough though. When you get to like the fifth, sixth round, like that round four where some of the guys I think are, are falling that might've been late two or, or early mid three last year. And you can get them in round four. Like those guys seem, I seem to be interested in as it stands right now. Um, and the opportunity cost and wide receiver isn't as high. I do get like somewhat concerned when we you know, start moving into five, six, but we'll see. Yeah, I think the the range there that like the players are kind of interesting to me are the likes of maybe an Aaron Jones or um, you mentioned Dobbins there. Saquon Barkley might even start to fit into that range. There is a couple of guys of of interest, you know, James Conner as well. But how do you feel the risk reward is for those guys in round? I guess we'll say two through four, maybe. Uh, with there is the elite upside, but we've also seen the the floor be. No, not very positive. Uh, Sean has written here in the show notes below the ground as their floors <laughs> are very positive. But, you know, we have seen Saquon Barkley over the last couple of years. He is battling injuries, but there is that case as well as like, it feels like these guys might be valuable in that range this year, but it might also be the case that they are really, you know, falling off that cliff and that value will never return. So what's the, the risk reward for some guys like that? Yeah, I'm generally it's just my personality. I'm a little more focused on the reward than the yeah. risk. That's uh good for the stars here. That's 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 how I play. I do think you know there's an element of this which you guys have covered a bunch, is that all running backs have a certain degree of risks. You know, some of it's a little bit more visible because it's already occurred to some backs and other backs. Not to say that you know Saquon is as risky as, as somebody else. You know, like he's probably more risky. I'll grant you that, but it might not be to the degree that it feels or seems just based on the recent history of the players. And I do like Barkley and Aaron Jones in this range where it's two guys where I think the situations have had a meaningful change. And that's when we can see uh, a lot of the reward come through with Barkley, you know, well, the cost just dropping off immediately gives you some upside, but then the coaching change, I think you, like, there's a chance it doesn't matter that much, but there's, there's also a chance it matters an absolute ton going from, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett, who are absolute dust balls, to Brian Dable, who you know led one of the best offenses in the league and helped Josh Allen develop. And if the offense goes, everybody's going to go, and we're going to be really happy with Saquon Barkley, who was you know dare I say a generational talent coming out of college. And then with Aaron Jones, I know there's some risk with Dylan behind him, but. I think the offense could be centered around him a little bit more, particularly in the passing game. If you look at some of the on-off splits, you know, use the road of his game splits app, the on-off with Devontae Adams, I think it's like two or three targets per game. Not a huge sample, but two or three targets per game higher. We saw him in the playoff game get utilized in the passing game when they needed him a little bit more. So I'm really excited over the pass catching role that Aaron Jones could play, where even if he splits carries, I think he's going to be efficient there. And then the passing game upside is there. Mike, to kind of 
finish off the show for us here, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Jones. That thesis that you just put out was the one that Ben and I decided to play in the playoff two contest last year. And that part of it worked out great. We, we messed up our ownership projections on a couple of other players that if we had just gone with the default approach that we were going to take, we, we would have done extremely well. We did make a little bit more than our money back, but you're always thinking, man, if I just... Anyway, Aaron Jones, exactly like you're saying, and he's very, very good, which matters to me a lot at all the positions, but I think I draft running back talent more heavily or with more of an emphasis, emphasis even than most other drafters. The explosiveness with that receiving ability, I mean, that's the perfect profile. But when I look at the backs just across the entire NFL, definitely the backs at the top, and you look at talent also being an issue potentially behind them, it really seems like Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones are the two backs who have not just good players behind them, but potentially elite-level starters behind them. And that shows up very clearly in their expected points per game. And then they outperform that by a pretty good amount, and it ends up with a playable point total. And because of the talent there's a very strong likelihood that you're going to get that point total. And yet even I, one of the things that maybe when I think about the dead zone and why I'm not scared to take guys there, but also play a little bit differently and have for years than a lot of people is that if I'm taking guys in rounds three and four, I also want them to be able to get into that 17, 18 EP per game range within the possibility to add three or four points over expectation onto that and then give you that sort of legendary type of upside. How does that work in for you? Obviously your projections are fantastic. Your process with your projections are fantastic. And then your tactics you use in drafts are very, very good on top of that. So you're, you're good at using those projections there with players like Chubb and Jones. How does that entire dynamic work through for you? I mean, obviously there's a chance those guys get hurt, but there's the chance that they don't. What are the things that you're looking at when you're making those calls? And, you know, Chubb and Jones aren't as expensive as some other guys as a result of some of those dynamics too. Yeah. So I'm a little bit higher on Jones than Chubb. If we look at the situations and how they're a little bit different for Jones, again, I think that pass game role is really going to be there. And I don't really see Dylan cutting into that. And that's a pretty big deal to me where I think that's going to give him a really nice base. And then also, if Dylan gets hurt, you know, now, now we've got the EP thresholds that we want to want to hit. Whereas if you look at Chubb, you don't have that passing game involvement necessarily as a base. And if the guys behind him get hurt, he might need two injuries. Now, you know, they, they resigned Dearness Johnson, who was really, really good. Um, if hunt sticks and they've got hunt and Dearness Johnson behind Chubb, like you don't have that binary switch flip which is like okay hunt gets hurt now we've got a top five back like that's not necessarily the case anymore so i'm a little bit more down on chubb than jones of course format matters like it's full ppr half ppr or whatnot because the efficiency is going to be just really good for chubb you know he is one of the guys we've struggled projecting the most the last couple of years because he just breaks our model in terms of efficiency but um, that hopefully gives some insight as like how I view their situations a little bit differently and why I'm more worried about one than the other in terms of the risk behind them. 
That's awesome. And uh, we are going to start to put a little bow on today's show um, for best ball. We did tease it at the start of the show. We will have Mike back on Saturday to talk some dynasty and including a, a massive trade himself and Sean completed. But for today, make sure you're following Mike on Twitter at two hats, one Mike. That is the number two and the number one, two hats, one Mike. Also find all his work over at Establish the Run. But before we wrap up, Mike, anything else that you want to let the listeners know they, they should be checking out from yourself? Yeah, uh, well, one thing that's not football related, but if you play golf, we, you know, this is Masters Week as we're recording this, and we just launched our golf product over at Establish the Run. Uh, I'm not the one making the projections for that. Rufus Peabody is one of the better golf gamblers in the world, does our projections, but I am excited to play those projections. Uh, so, so definitely check those out if you're into golf as well as football. Really great stuff there from Mike. It's always a lot of fun having him on. Lots of different stuff covered there. Baseball, you know, we, we had him on last year. He was in that baseball final over at the FFPC with myself and Sean, with Connor O'Driscoll, who came out on top. And uh, we had him on before that. A lot of fun on that one. So really enjoyed today's conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed listening in to him. But Sean, as we get ready to wrap up today's show, uh, we, we want to let the listeners know how they can get on on the action at Underdog. We do. We have the coupon code ROTOVIZ for you. You get a $100 deposit match. I like to have these coupon codes that I can remember easily, and that one works for me. Hopefully, it works for you. It is ROTOVIZ. And Mike mentioned a couple of things about Underdog in the show there, kind of how the ADPs work out. One of the things that I think people can miss sometimes is that because you have the half PPR, maybe the running back is more viable for the flex. But yet at the same time, because you have to start three wide receivers, you cannot get in the situation where you get running back heavy and go with four running backs, just the two wide receivers. That changes the dynamic. So make sure you're aware of that as you're putting those teams together. We know from uh, Peter's visit to Stealing Bananas that he's had some fantastic results with the wide receiver heavy teams. Consider that as you're putting your teams together there. But no, we look forward to drafting with you on FFPC, drafting with you on Underdog. And we're going to have Mike again for Saturday, where we're going to go over some big dynasty trades, talk a little bit about the Rotoviz Triflex leagues, and really just break down a lot of ways that you can play dynasty, including best ball dynasty, which, as he's going to discuss a little bit, is perfect, right? Because we want to spend these first six months of the year playing dynasty all the time, every day. And yet once that season starts, you don't necessarily want to be having to put in 30, 40, 50 starting lineups. So something to consider there as well. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I can't wait either. It's going to be a lot of fun. You actually mentioned Peter there, Peter Overzet. He will be joining us for next week's show on the Thursday episode. So looking forward to that. And we uh, mentioned this on the show earlier this week. We are approaching episode 400. Today was episode 394. We will, uh, we're, we're trying to plan what we're going to do. We will have uh, some more information on that as we move forward. But one thing I would ask the listeners, if you can, drop us a written review in your favorite podcast app, or if you can go into the review you've already left and, and just add a little extra note or a full stop or, or whatever it will to uh, you know resave that. That will kickstart the algorithm as well and help us there. And you can always head on over to the YouTube channel and click that subscribe button over on YouTube. Also, but that is bringing us towards the end of today's show. The one other teaser I will give you for the Saturday podcast is I mentioned on the show previously that we have Rogers passing to Adams in the intro music. Will I have that updated for Saturday's show? I do not know, but uh, that's just a little teaser for the listeners to uh, to enjoy as they wait patiently for the Saturday edition. But lots of fun talking to Mike. Check him out on Twitter at 2Hats1Mike. 
And of course, my name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Over to Marlin. My co-host is Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on rotoviz.com. And until we're back on Saturday, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime and Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast.